It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk and thank you everyone for joining me here on a slightly cold but beautiful May day, May 1st, uh, here coming in live from Studio in uh, Costa Mesa, which is in Orange County, California. And today we're going to kind of slow it down. We're going to bring in just one guest and go deep uh, uh, with our guest today. Um, In case this is the first time you happen to be tuning in, I want to kind of give you a little rundown on how the show works, um, maybe kind of why it exists. So um, as I've had the privilege of, of meeting a lot of really inspiring leaders, some really cool thought leaders, people who are really thinking about talent and culture uh, and everything that we do from whether you're sitting in a, a C-suite position, uh, whether you're in HR, wherever you are in that, that kind of talent management pool or in management, you know, kind of the things that we're thinking about here. And so we really like to bring those people onto the show, those who are living it, breathing it, uh, th- talking about it, thinking about it and trying to have a conversation about what we should be thinking about right now, what we should be thinking about in the future, uh, and of course, uh, maybe things we hadn't thought about yet. So um, the show is live every uh, Tuesday, Pacific Standard Time at 1 o'clock. And you can also get us after the fact, which is most how most of you tune in, which is through iTunes or iHeartRadio. You can even get us on TalentTalkRadio.com. Uh, just super uh, thankful and excited we've had over 10,000 people a day coming in, downloading at least one of our shows and listening, interacting with us on Twitter, uh, which we'd love to have you do, uh, at PeopleG2, or just pop in your question, your comment, to uh, hashtag Talent Talk. We do usually tag the guests, so if they're on Twitter, you can kind of look at a recent post there and find our guests' uh, information. And love to have you keep that conversation going there, even if it's uh, after the live showing. Um, a lot of those conversations, a lot of those things that we've been talking about over the years that we've been doing this, um, you know, recently culminated into my book, uh, recent bestseller, the, the Power of Company Culture. Uh, feel free to check that out on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Um, it's a lot of great stories that we learned here on the show and continued conversations that we have with thought leaders um, about how they run their organizations and some of the real secrets that we picked up on what the greatest cultures are doing. So do check that out. But let's go ahead and bring in my uh, my guest today. We're going to bring in Charlie Judy, the founder and CEO of WorkXO. Charlie, welcome to the show. What's up, Chris and, and listeners? Thanks so much for having me. Really glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, what's, what should we know about you? I guess let's start with the, the, the Charlie 101 here. Uh, maybe a little background on you, and then you can kind of maybe segue that into, you know, what you're doing, what, what you're you know, what a day in the life looks like at, over at uh, WorkXO. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, first of all, I'm sitting in 
sunny Chicago, sunny and warm Chicago, and that's the first time I've said that in about six months. So <laughs> uh, we may even be beating you right now. Or, right. Uh, a, a nice 80 plus. I'm going to be there next here. week, so I'm really happy to hear you say that it's sunny and nice and not freezing or humid or whatever other complaint we could give you. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll hold for you. Um, so I, I spent about 25 years in, in traditional corporate America. Um, mostly as an HR exec, though I spent the first part of my career as a CPA slash uh, accountant of all things, and kind of fell into HR by accident, uh, spent uh, you know, the, the remaining portion of my kind of traditional corporate American career as an HR exec, mostly in the professional services space, uh, so you know, public accounting, uh, consulting, et cetera. And I pulled the ripcord about uh, three years ago because I was ready to do something new. And, um, you know, the entrepreneurial thing was an empty space on my dance card. I wanted to make sure I got that checked off and the stars aligned for a number of reasons. And so I left to found uh, what became WorkXO. Uh, WorkXO is a uh, workforce technology company. We focus on people analytics. Uh, and our primary uh, product is a culture management platform that helps organizations first measure their workplace cultures and then analyze and understand them, uh, start to prioritize uh, stuff that's going to make a difference to their business, and then ultimately to start activating it in a way that's uh, holding themselves, their organization at large, accountable to the, that kind of work. So. Um, we're in our third year, uh, really excited about it, working with some great clients, learning a lot of stuff in the process. That's me. Yeah, and so is that sort of system, is that the workplace genome that you're kind of describing? It is, yeah. We call it the workplace genome. It's, um, you know, we're really, we're really focused on trying to produce, and, and I would say producing, uh, data on culture at genetic level. Uh, you know, kind of the organizational behavior level. We're, we're really, really focused on drivers, not outcomes. We're, we're trying to understand in a lot more detail kind of how you work, how you interact, how you act, how you get stuff done, and what your employees experience along the way. And then that genetic data or code uh, or profile helps us start to hone in on what's going to have a difference and make an impact on our organization. Yeah, so what are some of the, like, maybe real specific things that, obviously, you guys think uh, in your company that, you know, your your clients should really be measuring, and how does that maybe balance against what people think they should be measuring? Maybe you could kind of talk about what are some of the things that they, you know, traditionally want to run, run after, but maybe that's not really where they should be, and what, where should they be looking at? Yeah, I mean, if you if you take a look at what we have historically been focused on, you know, we in the world of work broadly, and I'll caveat all of this, I, of course, making some generalizations, but what we learned certainly in the, the research that we did as we were building the product, much of what we measure is either static data around our workforce, so kind of who our people are, demographics, you know, kind of skill set, um, you know, things that are that are a little bit more static, more about the individual, less about the organization. So right. that's, that's kind of one category of stuff. The other stuff, though, and the preponderance of really what we measure is what I would describe loosely as employee sentiment. How do your employees feel about work? 
So employee engagement, of course, is one of those measures, an important measure, one that, that, that we believe strongly in. But it's, it's, a, it's a lagging indicator. It is, it is a, a measure of everything or the outcome of really everything the employee has experienced since the moment they walk through the door to the moment they're actually taking the survey. And there's emotion attached to it. There's sentiment attached to it. There's feeling attached to it. Again, nice for us to know. But what's more actionable, where we sometimes don't go, is what's behind all of that. Like, what's driving that feeling, that reaction, that sentiment? And what if we can start getting data at, at that kind of that level, at the behavioral level, we can also step away from this notion that, you know what, there's one size that fits all. If we, if we all only did this, we'd have higher employee engagement scores. That's a, that, that needs to be an exercise that's much more introspective. It needs to be much more about your organization and what's going to drive your organization's success, not following some sort of recipe for or copying some recipe for success in some other organization. That's kind of it. That's, that's the, the, maybe the key distinction that I would draw. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I... You know, I've often told people, um, you're not Google, now get over it, and then go big, go back and figure out, you know, what it is that you can specifically do to be great or to be disruptive or whatever it is that's important to your organization. But I think often people think, well, if we can't be just like whatever their imaginary, you know, dream of a culture is or, or an organization is, then they sort of give up. They, they just don't ever chase that, uh, what, what success or what awesomeness, I guess, looks like inside. Um, uh, yeah, and how do you define that awesomeness, right? I mean, I think I think again, we've 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 put a lot of emphasis on things like the Great Place to Work surveys that you know happen now in, in, in you know every business community across the globe, and we all learned first about with Fortune magazine's you know 100 best companies to work for. Again, it got us thinking about this stuff. It got us paying attention to the kinds of workplaces that we could create, but we started to get so focused on that number or those lists, like, was our engagement score high enough? The, the law of unintended consequences started to really kind of fall into place. So, you know, if we were 76 last year in employee engagement and we were 78 this year, we all patted ourselves on the back and we went back to work. We put whatever else we learned along the way up on the shelf and we just kind of hoped and prayed that we'd become a 79 next year. But what does that really mean? And, oh, by the way, that's mostly luck. <laughs> How do you start getting more intentional about what you're doing so that you don't really have to worry about those scores, so that you know you have the right workplace, the kinds of people that are in your organization? Right, absolutely. Well, you know, often, and I guess certainly maybe during most of the time that uh, you were working in HR, a lot of people would sort of define that role. I mean, it is changing now, but as being relatively reactive, right? I mean, the organization needs to hire, go hire, needs to fire, go fire this person, right? We have this problem, go fix it. It's a lot less strategic, a lot less um, thinking about things that might be coming. And certainly a good trend that that's starting to change and HR starting to look at things that are proactive. But I, I sort of imagine at some point that may have been a push for you to sort of, you know, I guess leave wh where you were at and then moved into really pushing into this area of looking at the future of work. So. Maybe you could talk about, was there an epiphany? Was there a moment? Was this kind of a progressive change in your mind? And, and, and if, certainly if I didn't phrase this, uh, the scenario here correctly, maybe you can uh, kind of 
give us what was correct there. No, no, no. I think I think that was I think it's a, a, a an operation or um, observation. I, you know, I think I think any career decision again is a culmination of lots of things that have happened along the way. Um, you know, I, I got frustrated uh, at, at my level in my role as an HR exec by having to spend, you know, I'd say 99% of my time on things that have already happened, you know, either either reporting on uh, or preparing from one meeting to the next. And, you know, I, I, I think that there's, there's something organizational at play really across uh, the United States slash globe that keeps us from thinking about what could be or what might be next in a very methodical way. We like to pontificate. We like to talk about it. We like to, you know, maybe even like to daydream a little bit. But but we're not very good at, 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 at turning that into some sort of action. Um, and I think that's, you know, the organizations that are out in front of things, particularly in the world of people, if... if just as a, a really simple example, and you can apply this to any aspect of HR, just take recruiting. I mean, if we were if we were focused on really hiring the people that we needed three years from now, as opposed to the open recs that the hiring manager is yelling at us about, you know, that that would put us ahead of the curve in a major, major way. And, and apply that to really any scenario in the workplace. We do not manage our people really as if it were an operating system you know we, we don't we don't really devote the same kind of attention to our culture to understanding it to to tinkering with it to managing it on a daily basis just as we do any other operating system in our business we don't do that and we need to start doing that or else we will always be looking backwards we will always be catching up we will always be miles and miles behind those organizations that are figuring this stuff out. They're figuring out how to disrupt the traditional paradigms of work, and they are way out ahead of us. So, so let, me, let me push back for a second and ask, you know, obviously when we hire people, I mean, I know I typically look for someone who will be able to be the right person, not only now, but will be, continue to be the person for the next two to three years. I sort of look at that as a tour duty type of a scenario. Do you think people can really, uh, is, it, is, it, is it realistic for us to ask the average person inside the average company to be able to see that three years out, to know what they really need, to know who that person really should look like and be? Because, um, I mean, given right now the, the job market, it's pretty hard to find anybody to fill some of your top spots, uh, let alone find that perfect person, right, that you, is going to be the right person three years from now. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so I mean, we we could spend an entire radio show talking about this particular issue. I, I mean, I, I I hear your I certainly hear your your side of it. I mean, some of what I'm sharing is 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 for hyperbole, but you know, to, if if we were to start to break that down a little bit, first of all, I'd say that those organizations that are good at anticipating their hiring needs before they occur, so it's it's less about the kind of person that we need three years from now and more about what kinds of people do we not have today that we've never hired for today that we're going to need to start hiring for three years from now. Those organizations that are thinking about it are not having trouble filling talent because they're already out in front of this. They already have the pipeline. They can always, you know, they can already pull the trigger. Here's the other thing that I'd say about all of this. There's a continuum. You know, our organizations, and this is a little bit about our model, we won't get into the science, but 
there is this continuum of culture. You, you, you can be a very traditional place to work. And it would look like those places that we've experienced really since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution and, and the invention of management. That's on one end of the spectrum. You can be a very futurist place to work. I mean, these, these again, are these organizations that are disrupting the traditional paradigms of work. You walk into those doors and you talk about the operating systems that they use and, and, and how they even just build relationships with their people, how they get work done, and it will, like, blow your mind, right? No one's to say, certainly I'm not to say, that we all need to be like those futurists. Mm-hmm. But we certainly need to understand where those futurists are heading. And, and, and we need to start evolving our own organizations to that. It doesn't mean that we all have to get there overnight. It doesn't mean that we, that we all have to, again, copy culture and, 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 and become those organizations. But we have to challenge what we're doing today. We have to understand the benefits of doing it differently. And we have to start moving the needle, even just incrementally, to start looking more and more like those organizations. So as we look, kind of, yeah, as we look at some of those organizations, what are maybe some of the things you would highlight as being important or interesting uh, that we might want to think about adding or talking about inside of our companies that might change our cultures, you know, in the future? Yeah, I mean, so, so we we think about kind of there's we call we call them culture markers. We kind of have eight kind of core components of the workplace experience that we're gathering information on, and beneath each of those there there are um, you know, a bunch of uh, behavioral level stuff. It's, it's kind of what what you would experience. So, um, just as an example, uh, and maybe the one that's 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 really most fun to talk about, and, and maybe even a little bit scary to talk about, is anything that has to do with disrupting the traditional command and control environment, the hierarchy, the who gets to make decisions, mm-hmm. the you know who who holds all the power. And, and those organizations that are proving to be kind of most futurist in that realm are doing things like the person that's closest to the problem gets to fix it. <laughs> I don't care what their title is. They don't need to get an approval. They understand the issue because they're dealing with it, with it every day, and they have full authority to fix it any way that they need to. Now, that's a... I mean, you can see how that would work on some levels, mm-hmm. but if you start to apply it to your own organization, you can start to see where maybe it wouldn't work. You have to figure out where that kind of behavior could work. If, in fact, making decisions, moving quickly is important to you, that's the kind of stuff that you're going to have to start talking about. That's the kind of different way you're going to have to work. And that's a really fascinating um, way to think about it. I know for my organization, we, we chose to take that model of that sort of that person who's closest to it gets to make the decision. However, with sort of input and or involvement with their team, right? So at least they have someone to kick it around with, someone, maybe some, what details, what information don't they have they are not thinking about, right? To sort of get that group to, to help them. But ultimately they get to make that choice in, in most, most decisions. So it's interesting to kind of hear you already kind of categorize it that way. Um, well, and you, what you just described is obviously a variation, right? So you, you moved along the continuum. Your organization moved along the continuum. You added your own context and color. Right. You maybe even put a couple of guardrails in place. Right. And that's really important. <laughs> Again, that's what we got to think about. Like, how do we move towards that? You know, how, how can we start changing incrementally the behavior? That stuff adds up over time if you, if you stick with it. 
Yeah, and then you always have the people that could be worried. Because we could look at Volkswagen. Their, their issues a few years ago where, you know, some engineers decided, well, we can, you know, rid ourselves of the smog problem by changing the way the computers work. And that may not have ultimately been the best choice. It certainly solved their problem. Sure. <laughs> right. I mean, you know. right. So, there, yeah, there, you, can, you can certainly uh, come up with examples of where things like that. Right, is right. So every organization um, has to figure out how to handle that, where to put the guardrails up, where to give autonomy and authority. And and how to move how to move forward in a way that's going to work. Um, well, and that's you know that's the other thing about you know culture is that you, you can't just say we want to be this way. Mm-hmm. Like you can aspire to that, you can lay that, you can draw that line in the sand. But what you have to take the time to do is then figure out okay if we're, if this is important to us, if if this is going to drive our success, let's just keep building on this example. We need to be able to make decisions quickly. We need to put the power in the hands of people. That's that's cool. I understand that. But what are all of the other things that we need to do to make sure that we reinforce and clarify that? Right. You know, let's 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 put our money where our mouth is. Let's make sure that we're not saying one thing and acting another. But then let's also anticipate the downstream implications of doing it this way. Well, we're going to hop to our uh, first commercial break, or our only commercial break here for this, but we'll be come back in just a minute. And maybe we'll get some thoughts here from Charlie on if you're thinking about making a change in your culture, where should you actually start? And we're going to ask him that when we come back after this quick commercial break. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. We're here uh, going deep with Charlie Judy, the founder and CEO of WorkXO. And as we kind of left there, I asked, uh, kind of prepped Charlie for this question of, you know, if you're starting to think about your culture, if you're thinking you might need to make some sort of change, and whether you are a highly sophisticated company that really has already think about culture, or maybe you are, you know, a founder or CEO of a small company and you just haven't spent a lot of time on it, and that you're realizing maybe you do, Charlie, where should they think about starting uh, that, that journey or that process? Well, I think, first of all, Chris, it's, it's important to understand that it is a journey, and it is a process. And, frankly, it never ends. Um, this is not a project. This is not a one-time thing. Uh, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, that you've got to treat culture as an operating system, and you've got to invest in it, and you've got to give it time and attention. And, frankly, you've got to dedicate resources to it so that you are managing it just as you are any other operating system in your business. Your culture will evolve. It will grow organically. There's no question about that. The question is, will it grow into what you want it or need it to be? And it will likely not if you're not taking the time to nurture it and, again, manage it. So that's kind of step one. Step two, 
um, I, you know, culture isn't a shared responsibility. It, it's, it's, it's everybody in the organization. We all play different roles, and some people may have more influence over others. But we really need to take a look at, the, at look at this as a shared responsibility, and the and and the the management aspect of that should be shared. Create a group that's a stewardship council, or you know, the the the, the small group of people that are going to be charged with and held out there visibly as those that kind of own this work. Doesn't mean that they're not going to. It doesn't mean that they're going to do it all, but they're going to be stewards to it. They're going to keep people informed. They're going to hold ourselves themselves accountable to it. They're going to make sure the end user, i.e., the employees of that culture, have an opportunity to uh, to participate and, and provide input to and influence the direction. But they're going to steer the ship, and everybody's going to know it. The third is get some data. I mean, don't jump into this with your loose assumptions, and that's all your assumptions are is loose. I mean, you may have a bunch of institutional knowledge. You, you could have been around this organization for years and years and years, but your, your opinion, your own perspective is only that. It is your own. And so if you can gather some data that will either validate some of your assumptions or inform your assumptions or maybe invalidate for that matter, you're going to be in a better place. Start that exercise as an awareness exercise. Start it as an exploration exercise. It doesn't need to be about measuring whether or not you've got a great company or not. It needs to be about taking a step back, getting a little introspective, and figuring out who are we today. Like, own that. Stop pretending and talking about you're something that you're not. Stop talking about your way as if you're, your culture as if it's aspirational. Talk about first who you are today. Having that understanding, having that context, is going to help you set the stage for who you need to be going forward. And then once you've got the data, take the time to understand it, analyze it, start to figure out which of these things don't sound like who we need to be based on what we're trying to accomplish. Recognize that you cannot boil the ocean. Pick the one or two things that you think you can start to impact tomorrow, and then get your stewardship council to get all over it. Start creating plans. Be visible about those. Hold yourselves accountable again. Demonstrate to the organization the progress that you're making. Involve them along the way. And recognize that your incremental work is going to add up to big things. You do not have to solve this overnight. You cannot be all things to all people. But find the one or two things you can start making an impact on tomorrow. Now, you mentioned a stu- the idea of a stewardship council, and I and, uh, really like that. Maybe you could talk about what is that, what is the uh, sort of makeup of that type of a group that you see typically working really well? Yeah, so, um, you know, there, there is, there's, I think, a, a million ways to, to kind of to, to, to create and to slice this and to skin the cat. Sorry, I was looking for the right, the right <laughs> analogy there. Um, the, the, you know, the, the kind of the common makeup that we see working from a lot of trial and error, believe me, um, doesn't matter how big your organization is, no more than 10 people. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it gets larger than that, it just becomes unruly. Right. Uh, make sure it's a great, and, and most of this will be intuitive to your listeners, make sure that it's a, it's a, a cross-functional representation. You've got a good demographic mix, both at the organizational and the individual level, um, so that you can represent different stakeholders. Um, make sure there's at least one person that sits on the council that has the ear and direct access to the executive slash leadership team. Unless you're in one of those places that's completely agile and has dispensed with traditional hierarchy, 
you're likely going to need to get through some sort of approval. And at the very least, you're going to need to have some buy-in. So if somebody on that group can have direct access to that team, that executive team, that's the ultimate decision-making authority, you'll have more success. And don't have it be volunteer. Be methodical about picking who you want because they have influence, because they've succeeded, because they contribute, and because they have a voice. Um, it's okay for this to be an exclusive thing. And by the way, it should entice others who are interested in um, you know, getting involved down the road to pay attention. So those are some quick characteristics. And those are all great things. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone in and worked with a company and they may have a group like that. And it's, you know, five VPs, the CEO comes once a year and maybe a couple managers. And it's not, you know, it's maybe all HR, customer service. It's all your, <laughs> you know, it's not very diverse across the organization. You're missing all of your frontline people who are really the ones who you're trying to make more engaged, right? Trying to make yep. this a better place for them. And they're not represented at all. I really like that idea about maybe picking some people that you're, you know, say, hey, th you're going to be in this group. You're an important part of the organization, and it's not really optional. Um, that does kind of fly in the face of agile. Sort of has this idea of self-forming teams and things like that. But I, I kind of like that idea, especially if you're starting off. You need to make sure you have the right people on there. And then I've seen. It's funny, it's, it's, go ahead. It's funny that sorry, sorry, interrupt. It's funny that you mentioned agile because that's literally the we use agile software development principles to kind of facilitate and conduct those mm -hmm. teams within organizations. And um, that self-forming or self-directed self-management component is a really important component to that. In fact, if, if you're curious about forming your own teams, go look up Agile Software Development Principles, look at the manifesto, and start to embody those principles in that group. Right. Yeah, it's amazing when you end up bringing people together, you didn't expect to be able to come up with something. So. You could say, well, you know, if we're going to talk about culture, why would we bring in, you know, John, this, you know, uh, bookkeeping assistant who, you know, hardly says three words to anybody. Like, if we just want to go with the worst version of a stereotype of someone in accounting. But, you know, right. why, would, why would we bring them in to a group like this? And yet, on the flip side, I've seen over and over and over again that bringing in these different types of people, different personalities, different perspectives, has the most impact on helping you reach your cultural goals. Um, no question. I mean, no. the creativity, the, the kind of innovative thinking, and, you know, those people, doesn't matter how quiet they are, they're still experiencing work every day. You know, they, they whether they're observing or, you know, participating in a much more vocal way, they are, they are experiencing it. The other thing is, you know, you've got the right group with kind of the respect and, and you know, the influence. It's a lot harder for an executive team to say no to an idea when it comes from a group of, you know, 10 employees than it is for an executive team to say no to their own direct reports or their VPs, right? So yeah. this kind of this crowdsource solution approach really puts everybody, kind of takes them off the defensive almost. Like, you know what, this is, this is what our people are saying. We need to start listening to them. Yeah. I, I, I remember there was a company, and I'm just blanking on the name now, they're in the pharmaceutical area, and they was at a conference, and they had been receiving a bunch of awards for some of the really cool things they were doing. And I remember, though, something that really stuck with me, that they rotated people out. They basically did, like, a three-year term uh, for, that, for that group. And it was more than just culture. It was also employee success and customer success. They were really kind of around that, the softer things. But, you know, after three years, you were out. 
Um, and so that basically every year they kind of rotated in some new blood to the organization. I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, that's not a bad approach at yeah. all. And then they had to be out for a year or two before they could go back in or something like that. I mean, they had they kind, of a, kind of figured out. But it was interesting because people started really, they were really excited to be finally be able to get on, right, and have their time to, to be able to be heard and to help and, and to do those things. And at the same time, I guess you're not overwhelming people for, for too long either, uh, which is always a... Uh, if you look at Agile, right, you have your sprints, but you also have your off time because we can't be sprinting all the time. All the time, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, just a, you know, kind of a shout-out to all of our, you know, HR listeners out there. Um, this is a great tool. I mean, even if you're not going to start to, you know, initiate some huge culture initiative or project, I know because I've been in your seat, you've got a long, long list of things that you love to do that you know are, 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 are right for the organization, but because you are in a group which I think uh, more than any group in any organization has competing priorities and is getting pulled in lots of different directions and um, you know has to focus on whatever the hottest topic of the day is, um, it's hard to get that stuff done. It just really is. Mm-hmm. Think about creating a stewardship group to just take that one thing on that list that you really want to get done. You will be amazed. And what they do with it. And, and is that maybe, is that how people stay intentional with this? Because it's not easy to do, but it's certainly easy to say, we're going to work on this today, right? I mean, the, the, there's hard work after you decide you're going to do it. But then I have often found the hardest work is then maintaining that, that right? Because we, we can decide it's okay to do it. We can decide what we want to be. But then, you know, you can easily lose steam after a month or six months or whatever it may be. Is that the best advice, or are there other things that people need to think about on staying intentional and keeping that ongoing idea and process going? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why, I mean, I think you're right to be cautious of this, and it's, um, it's you know, some, it's a, a fundamental principle to kind of any internal project management. You know, whether, whether you're using Agile or whether you're using, you know, pick your favorite, have a methodology that you can all subscribe to, and that... You, you know kind of in general how this thing works and you know that it works cyclically. I mean, one of the things that's beautiful about the Scrum and the Agile is that it, it repeats itself. You know, like, all right, we know what's happening next. Um, and there are, of course, creative ways. Like, it, it always turns out that, that, that the, the person doing the most work at any given time is, is going to change. Right? I mean, it depends on kind of what you're involved in and what you're interested in, and, and that's why you have 10 people on the stewardship as well, because you're going to kind of rotate in and out. You're going to get each other's backs. I would, but I, I would find something that is, is, is recurring, and I would give yourself at least a year to try that cycle, because it takes work, and it takes practice, and it's going to feel clunky and messy at the front end. That's how these processes are designed. They're actually meant to be a little messy at the front end, because you, as a self-directed team, need to kind of wallow through it and figure it out on your own. But you will find, you'll find some cadence, and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll start to see the groove. And if you keep that going, it'll keep going. Right. Well, there's certainly, a, you know, a lot here to, to un, kind of sift through and for people to think about. And, and hopefully they've heard that, uh, you know, our listeners have heard today that, you know, starting somewhere is, is, is a good place to go. Maybe picking an area that where you can give a group or a stewardship council uh, some runway to go in and do it. You don't have to do it all yourself. 
Um, you know, are there any other, you know, sort of, so far the things that we've taught today, you know, something that you really hope that people remember, really hope that people will, will take back with them to their organizations, um, that, that's really important if they really want to, you know, make a difference here. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it is about managing culture. You know, that's, that's a kind of a relatively new concept that even makes people feel uncomfortable a little bit. So think about it that way. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, that recognizing that you can make a difference in the workplace by little things. You know, we don't, we don't have to deliver everything with a nice little bow and package, and it doesn't necessarily have to go in front of the you know, board with a nice big PowerPoint presentation. You can change behavior incrementally, and you can start chipping away, you can start hacking away, you know, borrow another software development term. Like, if you see something that's not working, fix it. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what, maybe don't even ask for permission to do it, just fix it. You know, I, I think it is, it's, just change, it's, it's, it's reprogramming our muscle memory. In, in how we get stuff done in the workplace and, 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 and really challenging ourselves to be a little bit more fluid with it and to take a little bit more risk and to be comfortable with progress over perfection and to be comfortable making mistakes. We're not going to get it right all the time, but, you know, that's how you do things today. You, you deliver a little bit of, of, of progress at a time. You adjust. You get input, input, and uh, you know from from the from the end user, and and then you 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 build the next iteration. We we have to move at that pace. Everything around us now is moving at this pace. Mm-hmm. If we can't do it with our own people, we will always be catching up. Well, we've talked a lot about culture. Let's maybe dive into some of the more specific things, uh, some cool things that uh, maybe you're doing or reading right now. Um, Want to kind of see what we can learn from you on an individual level as well. You know, is there an app or a gadget or maybe something new that you've added to your process recently or to your life recently that you might share with our listeners? So I'm, uh, I mean, you know, this is maybe even turned more into a, you know, less, less into a, or less of a culture call, call and more of a, you know, kind of process uh, or a methodology call. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan, fan of the um, cloud-based collaboration tools. Um, and communication tools. Uh, I just I think they're crucial in any organization that's trying to manage multiple commitments, that's trying to create a more fluid flow of information. Um, we use Asana. Um, others use Trello. Uh, you know, both those those apps do similar things. Uh, it's really more a matter of preference. Microsoft has a product called Microsoft Planner. Um, it, it, th- these tools embody kind of everything that we've been talking about in terms of fluidity and, and you know, progress over perfection, visibility and accountability and all of those things. I, I, we use it prolifically in our business. Yeah, and the, uh, the, those are big ones for everybody uh, in organizations are sort of adding it more and more. I mean, sometimes I know we, we, we struggle a little bit with having too many different types of places to share our stuff. <laughs> Um, you have to be careful, right? Yeah. And, and you know that 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 happens. You're right. Um, I, I think if, if you pres- you know again you, you kind of do it, plug one thing in at a time, <laughs> and make sure that you've given it time. Make sure that you've really given it time to understand it before you go chasing after the next shiny object. Right. 
Well, what about books? Is there a book you're reading right now or one that you often suggest people check out? Oh, geez. Um, well, I, you know, I'm always reading something. It's, it, it, uh, I, I try not, I try for it not to be about business um, <laughs> because I am, uh, you know, consumed by uh, all of that content throughout the day in some form or fashion. I mean, there's a lot of reading I do, kind of with periodicals, et cetera, online um, content, et cetera. Um, so I've got, you know, I've always got a, a, a mystery on my, my bedside table. Um, I'm also reading right now uh, Trevor Noah's uh, Born a Crime, um, mm -hmm. really kind of interesting uh, autobiography slash biography on, on uh, the experience growing up in South African apartheid time as a mixed race uh, individual. Um, really interesting. And of course, Trevor's hilarious. So that's worth a read. You know, business books. I'm not. I, I won't be able to list anything out there that you're. Hey, it's whatever you're reading. You know, we love to get all that variety. We got everything from you know funny books to biographies to business books to we've had. I think last week we had uh, children's stories on. So, yeah, it's kind of oh, whatever yeah. you're reading is great. That's just kind of what people might want to check out for any any different interests. You know. Got it. Yeah. No, that's that's what's on my bedside right now. Well, perfect. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you or if they want to find out more about uh, your, your program and the things that you're doing over at WorkXO? Yeah, so, uh, of course, find me on LinkedIn. Charlie Judy, J-U-D-Y is my last name. Um, I'm on Twitter as HR Fishbowl. Um, uh, WorkXO has a Twitter account, at WorkXO. Uh, we're at WorkXO.com. Um, we have a podcast that we do. Uh, it's um, uh, centralized on Podbean, though you can also get it elsewhere, uh, and that's called the Culture Chat Podcast. So lots of places to go. I would love to connect with anybody. This, this whole body of knowledge on, on, on culture is you know, still literally quite in its infancy, um, and so the continued exchange and, and you know, kind of uh, real-life um, uh, experience that you guys are getting out there in the trenches right now is, is invaluable to us. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for joining me today and doing an extended version here of the show uh, and really providing our listeners with such uh, great sight, uh, insights and uh, information here on Talent Talk. It's my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything you're doing. But that is uh, it for today's show. Thank you everyone who's been listening. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Uh, next week, we'll be playing a little best of. As I mentioned, I'm traveling to Chicago. Um, but we will uh, be on at 1, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can check back uh, the following week when we will be live back in studio. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.